0: A furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, looked at the wind and the waves, and rebuked them. He said, peace be still and immediately the wind and the waves died down and it was completely calm and he said to his disciples why are you so afraid do you still have no faith that comes from mark chapter 4 verse 37 through 40 jesus is the ruler of the storm. Jesus is the ruler of your storm. So here we go. You're listening to the Grizz Podcast, where our mission is to help boys become men and to help men become better men. It's going to be raw, it's going to be real, and it's going to be relevant. Now, here's your host, Jason George. I'm your husband, man. I've been going through a rough week or two with just a flare up from my lyme disease i've had a headache every day for like like i said a week or two it goes away for a little bit and then it comes right back so it's been rough man i hate these migraine cycles it's been a while since i've had one hit like this it's hitting me hard And I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do that all the books on Lyme disease and headaches tell me to do. I'm increasing my water, get more rest, get more sleep, watch your diet, take your vitamins, take these certain supplements that help with inflammation, detox, detox, detox. I'm doing all of it. (laughs) I was even doing some yoga last night, man, just to try to stretch and relax, get my breathing down, and I'm praying, God, please come heal me, because it is very difficult to function in life and enjoy life with just ongoing migraines. So this morning, I got up, got my cup of coffee, I was having my quiet time. For some reason, I reached over, and instead of grabbing the book or a couple books that I've been going through um, for Bible study, I grabbed J.C. Ryle's book called Holiness. I love this book, and it's not because it makes me feel good. You know what I mean? Many ways it punches me in the nose and breaks my nose and makes me spiritually bleed But it's such a good book. J.C. Ryle was the first Anglican bishop of Liverpool. Um, He lived from 1816 to 1900. Anyway, I looked at this chapter in the book called uh, The Ruler of the Waves. And he brings up the point that I want to share with you guys, Um, we all need to be reminded of this, that following Christ, following Christ, being a Christ follower, being a real Christian man who's trying to follow Jesus, that will not prevent us from having earthly sorrows and troubles. It will not prevent us from having earthly sorrows and troubles if you're not having earthly sorrows and troubles and you're a Christian man you will they're coming so you need to be prepared for that some of you are in the midst of it right now you're in the storm right now like I am some of you have just come out of a storm And that's good, man. It's good when you come out and everything is calm. You need that break, that relief. You're like, thank you, Lord. But we are fools if we think that it's going to stay that way. That for the rest of our time here on earth, it's going to be smooth sailing, calm sea blue skies, sunny for the rest of our time until we die and go to heaven. We are fools if we believe that that's how it's going to be. That's not reality. J.C. Riles says, the Lord Jesus taught that those who, uh, I can't say this right. The Lord Jesus taught that a man who is one of his chosen servants, will have to go through many an anxiety and endure many a pain. It is good to understand that Christ's service never did secure a man from all the ills that flesh is heir to and never will. If you are a believer, you must reckon On having your share of sickness and pain, of sorrow and tears, of losses and crosses, of deaths and bereavements, of partings and separations, of vexations and disappointments, so long as you are in the body. Christ never undertakes that you shall get to heaven without these. He has undertaken that all who come to him shall have all things pertaining to life and godliness, but he has never undertaken that he will make them prosperous or rich or healthy, and that death and sorrow shall never come to their family. He goes on, he talks about how he has the privilege of being Christ's ambassador, and he has the privilege of sharing the gospel with non-believers And he says when he does share the gospel to them, he offers them pardon and peace, grace, glory. He says, I'll offer that to any son or daughter of Adam. But then he goes on, he says, but I dare not offer to that person worldly prosperity as part and parcel of the gospel. I dare not offer him long life and increased income and freedom from pain. I dare not promise the man who takes up the cross and follows Christ that in following him, he shall never meet with a storm. He says, I dare not offer him that to try to persuade him to become a Christian. And that's good. You know, many preachers do offer that. They do try to persuade people to become a Christian, follow Christ, because Christ is going to give you all of these worldly things, health, wealth, prosperity. But that's a false gospel. He goes on, he talks about how trials reveal who you really are. Trials reveal who you really are like whether you're a Christian or not. How should you know who are true Christians if following Christ was the way to be free from trouble? How should we discern the wheat from the chaff if it were not for the winnowing of trial? How should we know whether men serve Christ for his own sake or for selfish motives? If his service brought health and wealth with it as a matter of course. The winds of winter soon show us which of the trees are evergreen and which are not. The storms of affliction and care are useful in the same way. They discover whose faith is real and whose is nothing but a profession and form. How would the great work of sanctification go on in a man if he had no trial Trouble is often the only fire which will burn away the dross that clings to our hearts. Trouble is the pruning knife which the great husbandman employs in order to make us fruitful in good works. The harvest of the Lord's field is seldom ripened by sunshine only, it must go through its days of wind and rain and storm. If you desire to serve Christ and be saved, I entreat you to take the Lord on his own terms. Make up your mind to meet with your share of crosses and sorrows, and then you will not be surprised. For want of understanding this, many seem to run well for a season and then turn back in disgust and are cast away. If you profess to be a child of God, Leave it to the Lord Jesus to sanctify you in his own way. Rest satisfied that he never makes any mistakes. Be sure that he does all things well. The wind may howl around you and water swell, but fear not. He is leading you by the right way, and he may bring you to a city of habitation. Psalm one o seven seven. Dude's got a way with words, man. Goes on and um, he's talking about Jesus and how Jesus is no stranger to anything that we will go through in this life. He is acquainted with everything that belongs to human nature, except for giving in to sin. He understands all of the temptation, all of the trials without yielding to them and giving into sin. Because Jesus is the sinless Son of God. He is the only sinless human being who has ever lived here on earth. Every other human being, including his mother, has sinned. And is in need of a Savior. Jesus is the only sinless one who doesn't need a Savior. That's why he's worthy to be the Savior. He is fully God who became fully man without giving up being God. He's the God man. And he is acquainted with everything that belongs to human nature Except for giving in to sin. And JC Ryle says, Are you poor and needy? So also was Jesus. The foxes had holes and the birds of the air had nest, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He dwelt in a despised city. Men used to say, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was a esteemed He was esteemed a carpenter's son. He preached in a borrowed boat. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed colt and was buried in a borrowed tomb. J.C. Rowell goes on and says, Are you alone in the world and neglected by those who ought to love you? So also was Jesus. He came into his own and they received him not. He came to be a Messiah to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and they rejected him. The princes of this world would not acknowledge him. The few that followed him were publicans and fishermen, and even these at the last forsook him and were scattered every man to his own place. Then he says, are you misunderstood, misrepresented, slandered, and persecuted? So also was Jesus. He was called a glutton and a winebibber, a friend of publicans, a Samaritan, a madman, and a devil. His character was belied, false charges were laid against him, an unjust sentence was passed upon him, and though innocent, he was condemned as a malefactor, and as such, he died on the cross. J.C. Ryle goes on and says, does Satan tempt you and offer horrid suggestions to your mind? So also did he tempt Jesus. He bade him to distrust God's fatherly providence. Command these stones to be made bread. He proposed to him to tempt God by exposing himself to unnecessary danger. Cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. He suggested to him to obtain the kingdoms of the world for his own by one little act of submission to himself. All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. So does Satan tempt you and offer horrid suggestions to your mind? He did so to Jesus as well. Do you ever feel great agony and conflict of mind? Do you feel in darkness as if God has left you? So did Jesus. Who can tell the extent of the sufferings of mind he went through in the garden? Who can measure the depth of his soul's pain when he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hmm. J.C. Ryle goes on and says, uh, There may be much weakness and sickness, infirmity, even in a true Christian. Sense of immediate peril often makes men have a bad memory. Fear is often unable to reason from past experience. The disciples heard the winds. They saw the waves. They felt the cold waters beating over them. They fancied death was close at hand. They could wait no longer in suspense. Do you not care that we are going to die? They said to Jesus. But after all, let us understand this is only a picture of what is constantly going on among believers in every age. There are too many disciples, I suspect, at this very day, like those who are here described. Many of God's children get on very well, so long as they have no trials. They follow Christ very tolerably in the time of fair weather. They fancy they are trusting him entirely. They flatter themselves. They have cast every care on him. They obtain the reputation of being a very good Christian. But suddenly, some unlooked-for trial assails them. Their property makes itself wings and flies away. Their own health fails. Death comes into their house. Tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. And where now is their faith? Where is the strong confidence they thought they had? Where is their peace, their hope, their resignation? Alas, they are sought for and not found. They are weighed in the balances and found wanting. Fear and doubt and distress and anxiety break in upon them like a flood and they seem at their wits end. I know that this is a sad description. I only put it to the conscience of every real Christian, whether it is not correct and true. The plain truth is that there is no literal and absolute perfection among true Christians so long as they are in the body. The best and brightest of God's saints is but a poor mixed being. Converted, renewed, and sanctified, though he be, he is still compassed with infirmity. There is not a just man upon the earth that always does good and sins not. And many things we offend all. A man may have true saving faith and yet not have it always close at hand and ready to be used. And that the truth. No one can say how much weakness might appear in himself if he was placed in circumstances to call it forth. Does any reader of this message think that he believes in Christ? Do you feel such love and confidence in him that you cannot understand being greatly moved by any event that could happen? It is all well, I am glad to hear it, but has this faith been tried? Has this confidence been put to the test? If not, take heed of condemning these disciples hastily. Be not high-minded, but fear. Do not think because your heart is in a lively frame now that such a frame will always last. Say not because your feelings are warm and fervent today. Tomorrow shall be as today and much more abundant. Say not because your heart is lifted up just now with a strong sense of Christ's mercy. I shall never forget him as long as I live. Oh, learn to abate something of this flattering estimate of yourself. You do not know yourself thoroughly. These are more things in your inward man than you are at present. Wait, there are more things in your inward man than you are at present aware of. Man, that is so good to the immature, arrogant, unseasoned Christian. I hold strongly that there is a mighty difference between the true Christian and the false, between the believer and the unbeliever, between the children of God and the children of the world. I hold strongly that this difference is not merely one of faith, but of life, not only one of profession, but of practice. But I do not want young Christians to understand what they must expect to find in themselves. I want to prevent their being stumbled and puzzled by the discovery of their own weakness and infirmity. I want them to see that they may have true faith and grace in spite of all the devil's whispers to the contrary, though they feel within many doubts and fears. So long as they are in the body, they must not expect faith to be avoid, to be above the reach of fear. Man, it's so good. No matter how strong you think you are, how godly you think you are, how resolute you are, like I will never fall away, I will never doubt you, God, my faith is so strong, blah blah blah. J.C. is saying you have no idea what else is in you. All it takes is for the right storm to hit, and things will come out that you're like, I I didn't know how much fear was in me, how much doubt, how much anger, how much lust, how much whatever. That just trials, the hardships of life can just trigger the right circumstances. It is possible for a man to forsake all for Christ's sake and yet to be overtaken occasionally with doubts and fears. Man, that's good to hear. I've been trying to follow Christ, stumbling along many times since right around 1992. So what do we have there? 30 years? 30 years! And yet sometimes I'm just like amazed and disgusted at the amount of doubts and fears I have. Sometimes I'm like, Why didn't, I didn't have these early on. Why do I have them now? Well, early on, I wasn't facing the storms that I'm facing now. I didn't have the opposition, the resistance coming at me like I do now. That's how it goes. Isn't this good stuff? Isn't it comforting to know that you can be a true child of God, a true disciple of Christ, even for 30, 40, 50 years, and just at times be overtaken with doubts, fears, unbelief. I like that one part in the Gospels where the dude says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Anybody relate to that? Like, I know I believe in Christ, the Son of God, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension. I believe in his Perfect life, sinless life. I believe that he is the only way of salvation. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because there's still parts of me that I'm like, I'm having a hard time believing. Sometimes in the midst of the storm, I'm like, where are you? If you're in this boat, I don't see you. If you're in the boat, I need you to wake up. Let me wrap it up. J.C. Ryle says in this chapter, let us learn in the last place how tenderly and patiently the Lord Jesus deals with weak believers. This is a really good section. Jesus deals patiently, tenderly and patiently with weak believers believers he says we see this truth brought out in his words to his disciples when the wind ceased and there was a calm he might well have rebuked them sharply he might well have reminded them of all the great things he has done for them and reproved them for their cowardice and mistrust but there is nothing of anger in the lord's words he simply asked two questions Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? The whole of our Lord's conduct towards his disciples on earth deserves close consideration. It throws a beautiful light on the compassion and patience that there is in him. No master surely ever had scholars so slow to learn their lessons as Jesus had in the apostles. No scholar surely ever had so patient and forbearing a teacher as the apostles had in Christ. Gather up all the evidence on this subject that lies scattered through the gospels and see the truth of what I say. At no time of our Lord's ministry did the disciples seem to comprehend fully the object of his coming into the world. They didn't understand the humiliation, the atonement, the crucifixion. They were all hidden to the disciples. They didn't understand those things. They didn't understand his plain and clear warnings of the things that were going to happen to him. It seemed to have no effect on their mind. It was hidden from their eyes. One time, Peter even tried to dissuade him from going through the sufferings. Frequently you will see things in their spirit and demeanor which are not at all to be commended. They are always fighting among themselves about who is the greatest. Another day they considered not as miracles and their hearts were hardened. Once two of them wished to call down fire from heaven upon a village because it did not receive them. In the garden of Gethsemane, the three best of them slept when they should have watched and prayed. In the hour of his betrayal, they all forsook him and fled. And worst of all, Peter, the most forward of the twelve, denied his master three times with his words. But what do you see in our Lord's behavior toward these disciples all through his ministry? What do you see? How did he respond to them? You see nothing but unchanging pity, compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, and love. He does not cast them off for their stupidity. He does not reject them for their unbelief. He does not dismiss them forever for cowardice. He teaches them as they are able to bear. He leads them on step by step as a nurse does an infant when it first begins to walk. He sends them kind messages as soon as he has risen from the dead. Go, he said to the women. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. He gathers them round himself once more. He restores Peter Peter to his place and bids him feed my sheep. He condescends to sojourn with them 40 days before he finally ascends. He commissions them to go forth as his messengers and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He blesses them in parting and encourages them with that gracious promise. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Truly, this was a love that passes knowledge. This is not the manner of man. Let all the world know that the Lord Christ is very pitiful and of tender mercy. He will not break the bruised reed, nor quench the smoking flax. As a father pities his children, so he pities those who fear him. As one whom his mother comforts, so he will comfort his people. He cares for the lambs of his flock, as well as for the old sheep. He cares for the sick and feeble ones of his fold, as well as for the strong. It is written that he will carry them in his bosom, rather than let one of them be lost. Isaiah forty eleven. 11. He cares for the least member of his body as well as for the greatest. He cares for the babes of his family as well as the grown up men. He cares for the tenderest little plants in his garden as well as for the cedar of Lebanon. All are in his book of life and all are under his charge. All are given to him in an everlasting covenant. And he has undertaken, in spite of all weaknesses, to bring everyone safely home. Only let a sinner lay hold on Christ by faith. And then, however feeble, Christ's word is pledged to him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He may correct him occasionally in love. He may gently reprove him at times. But he will never, never give him up. The devil shall never pluck him from Christ's hand. Let all the world know that the Lord Jesus will not cast away his believing people because of shortcomings and infirmities. The husband does not put away his wife because he finds failings in her. The mother does not forsake her infant because it is weak, feeble, and ignorant. And the Lord Christ does not cast off poor sinners who have committed their souls into his hands. Because he sees in them blemishes and imperfections. Oh, no, it is his glory to pass over the faults of his people and heal their backslidings, to make much of their weak graces and to pardon their many faults. He goes on and he says So learn to be tender hearted and kind to others, deal gently with young beginners. Do not expect them to know everything and understand everything all at once. Take them by the hand, lead them on, and encourage them. Believe all things and hope all things, rather than make that heart sad which God would not have made sad. Deal gently with backsliders. Do not turn back on them as if their case was hopeless. Use very lawful means to restore them to their former place. Consider yourself and your often infirmities, and do as you would be done by. Alas, there is a painful absence of the master's mind among many of his disciples. There are few churches I fear in the present day which would have received Peter into communion again for many a long year after denying his Lord. There are few believers ready to do the work of Barnabas, willing to take young converts by the hand, and encourage them at their first beginnings. Verily, we want an outpouring of the Spirit upon believers almost as much as upon the world. I'll stop there. I am always encouraged and challenged by J.C. Rao. All of this comes from his book, Holiness. Again, it's what I read this morning. It encouraged me. I wanted to share it with you guys, and I hope it encourages you. I hope it gives you a much clearer biblical perspective on whatever you're facing right now. The storms are going to hit, that's how it is. But Jesus is the ruler of the storm, Jesus is the ruler of your storm.